before we start with Parshas Korach. First of all, today is the 23rd day of Sivan. I'm going to respond to your comment. And I also want to say that today is the yard site for the community of Jer. I do not know how to pronounce it. That one, what she said. Um, the community that my father-in-law was from, they count for, like uh, whatever the amount of days from when they were deported. And this was the day they all arrived in Auschwitz. So our learning should be an alias neshama for that whole community. That's first of all. I mean, then, um, Hannah's at me, she's like, is this a thing? Um, it's, uh, yeah, yeah, shh, shh, it's working, it's working. Um, she says, it's a thing. So, yes, it is a thing. So, in 1983, in 1983, the Rebbe spoke about how on the 23rd day of Sivan was somehow connected to Mordechai and Esther. It was after Haman had been hanged. And, um, and then Mordechai wrote these new decrees saying you can't, call, you can't kill all the Jews, basically, right? That was basically what was going on. And the Rebbe spoke at that point about how everybody could ask Hashem for whatever they want. And there was, at that year, there was an incredible, incredible, um, I guess the word is push, made to have people write letters to the Rebbe um, asking them for whatever they want. He, he was basically saying, just like Mordechai was in exile then, and his request was, was answered, therefore all of us can ask for whatever we want. Uh, a tangential story, but not really, was that in the lead up to that time, uh, there was a woman I know from Australia, and she was trying, everybody was like trying to get people to write and get asked for their request. It was like a real ace ruts, and it was a real time that you could ask for whatever you wanted, and her father wasn't religious, and she was sort of trying to get him to do it, and he just wanted to get her off his back. And so he wrote, Dear Rebbe, I'd like success in fishing. And she was a little bit embarrassed, but she wasn't going to, it wasn't her job to censor the request. She was, so she sent it in, and he forgot about it. A few days later, a week later, he's going fishing with a friend, and they're going to someplace that they always go, and they meet other fishermen leaving, and they're like, It's a washout. We were there for hours, we got nothing. They go, he starts pulling up fish. Mm. His friend, nothing. They switch sides. He starts pulling up fish. His friend, nothing. So then he was like, <laughs> he felt a little stupid. And, and then, like in the time after that, I don't know how the story, whatever, but somehow his grandchildren came home from school and they said, we heard this story about somebody who could ask for whatever they wanted and they asked for success in fishing. Isn't that silly? <laughs> right? I don't know what the end of that story is. I wish I could tell you what the end of the story is. And, right? But I think, like, if we have this space, and we know that we talk about it often, that Jewish time is, is, like a, is a spiral. We're coming back to the same thing. So if this was shown to us that this is an Ace and that this is a time for us to be able to ask for whatever we want... It's a good time not to ask for fishing. It's a good time to, I don't know who writes to the Rebbe on a regular basis. It's a good time to write and to ask Hashem for whatever, you know, I think like we're all at a stage and I know we're not having every class that talks about it and we're almost done. But at the same time, I think if we have an Ace at this place where we're at such a juncture and where we're moving forward, I mean, we're always hopefully moving forward, but I think like it's really a good idea to take some time, take some quiet, and and think what, what if I could ask for anything right now, what would I ask for? 
and I'm going to give us all a bracha that we should not ask for success in our fishing. Okay. It was like specifically every year on 23rd till It happened the first year in 1983. And since then, it's become like a thing okay. on the 23rd of Sivan. Chana has the longer post of what Mordechai wrote and the, the, the whole shebang. It's a thing. I've seen... I've, no, and we got sent it from a, different, a couple of different things in Chabad.org, like a couple of family chats that Amon have already showed it. So... Um, it's, it's as much of a thing as we want to make it, you know? And I, and I want to say that um, in the place of do we take a chance, like, can we, we could choose to not make it a thing. It doesn't have to be a thing. But if we have that opportunity and we have that light and we have that space, like, well, why wouldn't we reach for that, you know? It's, it's definitely not a bad thing. Um, parenthetically, since our last class, when I told you I'm going to start doing mincha, Baruch Shem. How is it going? So far. Thank you. I, my son suggests that I set a timer, and that's been very helpful. I'm like, why is your timer going off at 5.15? I'm like, oh. oh. <laughs> yeah, okay. So here we are. It's Parsha's Korach. Um, the majority of the Parsha of Korach is actually going to talk about the Korach Rebellion, which we're going to talk about. The end of it, the last two aliyahs talk about the gifts of the, that go to the Kohanim and to the Levim. Yay, we did the whole Parsha. Isn't that awesome? We finished the whole Parsha. Um, I want to just say something that's very interesting. Um, the next Parsha after Korah, which is Chukas, is... Didn't that already happen? No, no. Chukas is, is the end of the 40 years. Meaning, Korah is taking place. We're coming to the end of the first two years of the Jews are in the desert. That transition period of how do we go from being slaves to being aligned with God's will is going to finish in this Parsha. The next thing we're going to hear about is in Parsha's Chukas, we're going to hear about Miriam passing away and Aaron passing away and what happens over there. So when we talk about Parsha's Bamidbar as a, our life in the desert, it's actually not 100% true. Really, it should be the better subtitle for Parsha's Bamidbar is Jews in Transition. Because for the first bunch of Parshas, we're having all that growing pains as we figure out how do we do this? Like, how do we actually live a life aligned with what Hashem really wants, not just what we think, or it's too hard, or all those kind of things? That's going to stop at the end of our Parsha. And in Parsha's Chukas, we're going to have, again, they're going to be transitioning out of a miraculous life into going back into, like, real life. You know, their real life is in Eretz Yisrael where they have to be farmers and politicians and state people and all those kind of things. And that's going to be another, that's going to be another shift for them. And that's going to be, again, that discomfort of transition. And anybody who's ever worked with children know they need time to transition. And the Jewish people are, to a certain degree, we have that same childlike quality and we don't do well with transition. We hear nothing about the 37, 38 years in the middle. Because if Chumash is for us to learn, if Tairi Milash and Haira, we're supposed to learn something, we know how to do it when everything's good. When all our ducks are lined up and everything, we're in the groove, we don't need to be told how to serve Hashem. We don't need to be told how to have a relationship with Hashem. Like, that's the intuitive part. The question is, what happens in the place of discomfort? What happens in the place of the not knowing? And that's what we have all these stories for. Not just say, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that again. I can't believe that. That's not the point of Tyra. The point of Tyra is for us to look and say, what do we walk away with? What are we supposed to be doing differently because of what we learned from what happened? So 
between Kairach and Chukas, we hear nothing because there's nothing to learn from everybody being in the perfect space. That's not the challenge. The challenge is not can we be good and can we follow Hashem when everything is lined up. I mean, let's be honest, maybe it is a challenge. <laughs> but if we can get to that place where everything is lined up, then it wouldn't be a challenge. Like, you know, all the pieces would, would work. Okay, so here we are, Parsha's Korach. Okay, and we have the introduction of Korach with his, almost his whole lineage. Okay, his lineage is traced till Levi, not till Yaakov, because Yaakov was like, I don't want to be with him. <laughs> don't count me in them, right? Don't count me with those people. Um, and, he, um, and he takes Dustin and Aviram. Where have we heard of Dustin and Aviram before? Anybody remember? Where have we heard Dustin and Aviram? They were arguing in Egypt. And they were arguing in Egypt. What did they do? Uh, they said, they were, I, I don't remember. They, like, they, they had an argue, and then Moshe reached out to them, and he asked, like, what is going on? And they said to him, oh, you who killed the Egyptian. You're going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian. And they, in fact, Medjur tells are the ones who informed on Paro about what Moshe had done. So, like, right. they're, lo- they're long-time troublemakers. It's not, it's, it's not that they're snitches. It's, it's, there's a difference. They're troublemakers. Like, when the first situation, when they first got the mun, oh, and they were the ones who put out the, yeah, look, there's really bad, right? So, like, they're old, like, this is like Moshe's old-time, uh, old-time nemesis, almost, you could say. Like, doesn't have your, like, if there's, a, if there's an argument, they're in. Like, there's no question why they're there, okay? So, if doesn't have your, we have, we have Korach, who's, Take a look where Korach is from, by the way. Before Lady, go. He's the son of Yitzar. Which of the family of the Levites is he coming from? No, no, no. You're too far. Vayikach Korach, Ben Yitzar, Ben. Korach. No, starting from Korach. Start from the beginning of Vayikach Korach, Ben Yitzar, the son of of Yitzar, the son of. Kahas. Kahas. What is Korach's job? What does Korach carry? The holy items of the Mishkan. Okay, like, wait, let's just put perspective on what this person has. Like, what's in his arsenal? He's part of the team that carries the Aron and the Menorah and the Mizbechas. Like, he's not like a nobody, right? So he's coming. So Korach is here. We have Dustin Aviram and On Ben Pellet. They're all from the tribe of Reuven. If you remember our lineup of where people live, If this is the Mishkan and the Levites, who's over here? Is the family of Kahat. Kahat. Who is whose flag is over here in the south? Rebuvain. Shimon. Shimon and Dan. No. Huh? No. Dan. And I think Dan. Okay? Here was Binyamin. Mm-hmm. Well, it was Friday. It was Minat. Uh, Menashe. I think it was Menashe or Friday. Oh, Menashe. It was Menashe Friday, right? Menashe Friday, okay? Okay. What do we learn over here? Neighbors affect each other. Neighbors affect each other. So the majority of the people who are going to join Korach's rebellion, Korach and the family of Kahas, were his immediate neighbors. Now it's going to spread. Okay, who does over here? It's going to spread. But the majority of the people are going to be coming from the neighbors. And I want to say, he can't even say, 
we can't even blame Ruvain. Well, you picked your neighbors. Because Ruvain didn't pick their neighbors. Who picked his neighbors? Huh? Hashem. Hashem picked his neighbors. Hashem said, you guys should camp over here. And at the same time, does it absolve them of their responsibility? No. 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 But still, but still, when we do have a chance to pick our neighbors, how important is it to look and pick our neighbors carefully? Because they do have an effect on us, whether we want to admit it or we don't want to admit it. Okay? And then they come to Moshe and to Aaron, and they have 250 people with them, and they are arguing that Moshe and Aaron have taken too much. They've taken, Moshe is the de facto king. Aaron is the, is the high priest. And he says to them, Kulam Kedoshim, why are you elevating yourself over the congregation of Hashem? Everybody is holy. We all have Hashem in, our, in us. Why are you elevating yourself over the people? And what does Moshe do? What's his first response? His response? Falls on his face. Falls on his face, right? The first response that Moshe has is that he falls on his face. And Hasidus talks about that the first thing that he wanted to do was to check and say, were they right? Sometimes we hear somebody tells us something about ourselves and we're so quick to dismiss that there's nothing right about what they're saying. Moshe first checks and he says, is it right? Am, am I right? Are they right about their, claim, their complaints? Have I, like I thought I was doing it because Hashem gave me this. And I thought that's what my motivation was. Checks himself, says, no, I haven't been, this hasn't been my personal thing. Yes, Hashem, yes, Hashem told us all these jobs, but also beyond that, I've been faithful to my job. I've been faithful to doing what Hashem asked me to do, doing what Hashem wants. And then he says to them, what's his response? Boker, let's wait till the morning and we'll see who Hashem has chosen. And Moshe's hoping, what are we, what, what's going to happen in the morning? Everybody's going to get a night's sleep. They're going to rethink this. They're going to come to their senses. But what ends up happening is that the people spend the whole night rabble-rousing and getting more people involved and more people involved and more people involved. Okay? And he says to them that in the morning, in the morning, everybody who wants to do this, what is he offering them the opportunity to do? In verse 7. Um, and tomorrow I put fire in them and lay incense on them before Hashem. What is this avoda? Taking a pan with fire and incense. What's he given the opportunity? To Ketoros. He's given the opportunity to, met, to offer the Ketoros. And whoever, let's do this and let's see who's left standing. One person is going to get left standing. Now, the people have all had experience with the Ketoros, right? Nadav and Aviu. Ketoros, like, they've had experience with this. They know that this is, you know, we're going to discuss this a little bit, okay? And then what happens... Um, then Moshe, then, then Moshe start, tries speaking to Korach to try to calm him down, that you have enough, you have so much, and you know, why are you trying to do this? And, um, and then Moshe calls, in verse 12, he calls Dustin and Aviram to come to him and speak to him, and they don't come. They don't come. Real chutzpah, right? Chutzpah. Um, and they say, isn't it enough that you brought us out of the land flowing with milk and honey? And you're killing us in the desert, and you also want to be our leader. You also want to rule over us. We already understand that this is <laughs> this is a, something's going on over here. And they couldn't complain. We didn't do this. Da da da. And Moshe is very, very, very upset. And he says to Hashem, "Do not pay attention to any part of their sacrifices. Do not listen." And, and Mo, Mo, Rashi points out, Moshe is asking that in a carbon seabor, a carbon that's brought on behalf of all the Jewish people, every single person is represented. 
their part should not be consumed. Their part should not be accepted. Do not have anything to do with them. And he says to them, he says to them that, that everybody stand tomorrow, you're going to all have your thing, you and Aaron and the 250 people, you're all going to bring your, your Ketores, and, um, and then we'll see who's, and we'll see who's, we'll see what's happening. Now Moshe's really hoping that things will calm down, and that isn't in fact what happened. So Hashem says to Moshe and Aaron and Shlishi to stay, step away from these people, I'm going to destroy them immediately, and they, and what do they say? Um, they, they fell on their face and said, Oh God, source of all breath and all flesh. When one member sins, will you be wrathful with the whole community? Right, you're going to kill everybody? You know what's going on. You know it's not everybody. Don't kill everybody, which is so incredible. Like, in spite of what's going on, they're able to be leaders, real leaders, and say, don't do it, don't everything. And Hashem says to Moshe, and he, sa- and, they, and he says to them, step away from their camp and take a look who's over here. We have over here Korach and Dustin and Aviram. Okay, and it's either here, no, before. It talks about beforehand, um, a little bit beforehand. Uh, we're all of a sudden one of our one of our rabble rousers are not part of it. I can't find it right now, but it's in Rashi, right? Who disappeared? Korach. No, we had Korach, we had Dustin Aviran, and we had in the first pasuk. In the first pasuk, we had another person. Korach, Dustin, and Aviram, and? And On Ben Pellet, in the first Pasuk, right? Oh, yes. And On Ben Pellet, and all of a sudden we don't see On anymore. And, and the measure says in Rashi, bring it. Where did On disappear? He home. What happened? He went home and he told his wife, We're going up against Moshe tomorrow. And, he's like, and she's like, Are you out of your mind? <laughs> like, really? Well, she didn't say you're crazy. It probably wasn't, that wasn't probably her language. And he was adamant that, she, that he was still doing this. So smart woman, Mrs. Own, who don't know her name is, she fed him wine and cheese. <laughs> he fell asleep. And she sat in front of the tent with her hair uncovered, combing her hair. And in the morning when they came to get him and they saw his wife with her hair uncovered, they went away. That we, you know what I mean? Like when we talk about who people are and what, like they're going up against Moshe, but they're not going to, like, here's the line. Here's a, here's a married woman with her hair uncovered. We're going to just go away. And that's how he gets saved because his wife, his wife realized this was a bad idea. This was not what he's supposed to be doing. And she used her, whatever she needed to use to get him, to make sure that he did not stay part of that that machokis, that was not that was not her thing, and it's interesting. And in Pirkei it talks about which is a machlokis that's considered for you know for for the sake of heaven, and they and Pirkei answers Hill and Shammai, and who's a machlokis that's not for the sake of heaven? Korach v'adato, Korach and his, his Korach and his whole community, meaning not Korach and Moshe, because that wasn't where the complaint was. Every single person in Korach's little the cohorts over there, everybody had different conversations going on about what they want to do. But the, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, he is the symbol of a fight that is not L'shem Shemayim. Even though one could argue, why not? Isn't he right? Isn't everybody holy? Why? Why? Isn't his, isn't his, what's wrong with what his complaint is? Mm-hmm. Right? And Rashi talks about the idea about how it follows the Moraglin and and, and part of the settling into being a nation of God 
Korach and Chassidus explains is a response to what happened with the Moraglim. Because if the place of the Moraglim, which we spoke about last week, but it's going to be this week in Chutzlaretz, if the place of the Moraglim was that we want to stay in Eretz Yisrael, sorry, we want to stay in the desert, we don't want to go into the land of Israel and have to do physical mitzvahs, we want to just stay in the desert and live a spiritual life, and Hashem's like, no. Bing, wrong answer, right? That's the wrong answer, even though parenthetically, they got what they asked for, Right? You know, we look at it, they got this big, pet, this big punishment, they're going to stay in the desert for 40 years. They actually got exactly what they wanted. They had Moshe for another 40 years, they learned Torah, they ate man, they had, you know, they're going to do all the stuff, like that's what they wanted to do. So forget about that, but, but, but the question, if we're, Korach said, wait a second, if we're saying that it's not about the intention, it's about the actual mice, it's about the actual mitzvah, then why differentiations? Why does Moshe get to be any different than anybody else? If you're saying that it's, you know, the, what matters, the most important thing is that you do the mitzvahs, go there, so, then what difference, would it, what difference does it make what your job is? They're all equal. They're all equal, right? They're all equally holy. There's not such, there's no hierarchy. There's no, this is more holy than that. The, 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 the Kohen Gadol isn't any more special than anybody else's Avaida. And Moshe says to him, and Moshe says to him, Biker, Hashem, the world that we live in right now still has differentiations. We still have a night and a day. We still have Eretz Yisrael and the rest of the world. We still have Yom Kippur is different than Monday, a regular Monday afternoon. Like there are differentiations already in the that are in the world already. To just say we're gonna just flatten the curve for everybody, that's a messianic space. We're not there yet. We can't get to that space until we all own our space properly and really do what we need to do in the place that we are given, with the talents that we have, with the boundaries and the borders, the healthy borders that we have. We have all of that. When we all perfect that, then Korach, you're right. But that's not where we are. And and if Korach's story took place in the year 2449 and now in 5783, there was a lot of perfection that still had to go on before Korach's vision could be actualized. So that means, is he, according to Chassidus, is he wrong? No. Is he in the right place? Also, no. I feel like Stella. Can we, are we at war? No. Can we see God above us? No. That's going to go down in my, in my, in my quotes. Um, meaning, you could not be wrong and also not be right. And really, Hasidus looks at Korach like that and says, he wasn't wrong, but he also wasn't right. And one could argue, and one does argue, that besides the, he was too ahead of his time, he, had, he was looking at the world messianic instead of practical. Um, well, let's look at what does Korach think he should be. He isn't so altruistic. He's a little bit animal farming there, right? Because what does he say? I should be instead of I should, not instead of Moshe. Right. Instead of Aaron. I could be the Kohen Gadol. He's not saying, I'll go be whatever. He's like, we're all equal. I should be the Kohen Gadol. I could be the Kohen Gadol. I could do this. So, like, at the end of the day, and that's where I think we're picking up what we're talking about, it wasn't, he, according to Chazidus, he really is, you know, sort of messianic, but according to Pirkei in the world that we live in right now, he wasn't saying we're all the same. He's saying, I could be the top dog. Now, clearly, not everybody, and this is what we're going to talk about, Korah, Aaron, 
Korach, Yosef, Aviram. Doesn't Aviram see because they aren't even Kohanim, right? They're from the tribe, so many from the tribe of Ruben. 250 people, they're all going to bring Ketoris. How's this going to end well? How's this going to end well? Meaning, there's only one person who's going to be left standing, right? So one of the things that the Rebbe talks about is the idea that the 250 people, they didn't think they were going to make it through alive. Really? But they wanted the chance to offer Ketoris just this once. Korach thought he was going to make it. Korach thought he was going to make it. Meaning, in the Pshat, they all look like we could all do it. But when, you, when the Rebbe says it's not possible, even somebody, only one person is going to be left standing, and the Rebbe says the 250 people, what was, we talked about last week or two weeks ago, what do we aim for, what do we strive for? They just wanted the opportunity to get that close to Hashem even only once. Even knowing it's going to kill them, they wanted to do that. Now, we've all learned Hasidic, so we know that that's not the answer. <laughs> That's not that's very nice that you want that, but that's not the answer. The answer is pull it back down. Take the passion and pull it back into a real world. We un, like but in that in that other space, like isn't that an awesome thing to want to do, to be that close to Hashem that you're literally willing to put your life on the line on the line to have this experience? And the Rebbe talks about in contrast in the second temple period, we know that there were many, many Kohanim Gedolim and and like a crazy number, I don't remember the numbers, but it's like a crazy number, including like one Kohen Gadol who was Kohen Gadol for like 80 years and somebody was for 40 years. And in 420 years, they went through like a crazy number, like an over, over 100 Kohanim Gadolim. And, and, the, and the Gemara talks about the idea that they, because it was so corrupt, people used to buy the rights to be the Kohen Gadol. And so therefore they were dying. If you go to the, if you go to the, if you go to the Holy of Holies and you're not supposed to be there, you're going to die. And the Rebbe says... Look what people wanted to do just once knowing it was going to kill them. Like this place of intense holiness. They weren't saying, let me just like get high and, and you know, I'll take a, you know, a ton of drugs. And if it kills me, it kills me. They're saying, no, I want to get so close to Hashem. Even the, there is corruption there. It's not the right thing to do. That's not the way to do it. But in the, in the place of Limud Tzchos, how do we look at them and say, wow, look at what they're trying to do. And that's really what's going on over here with these other 250 people. There's like... They only wanted to get that close to Hashem, knowing it was a bad, knowing it was a bad idea, knowing that this wasn't going to end well. But look what they wanted to do. So they have like a different kind of category over here. Now we're going to go back into our pasuk, and I'm going to say what happens to Korach and Dasan Aviram. Oh, so there, so Rashi says Rashi wants to know how does why does Korach go do this? Like why why is why is Korach so convinced? that he's going to make it through. I Meaning he knows one person's going to be left standing. Why is he so convinced that it's him? And, and Rashi says that he saw in Navua that there were going to be great people who came from him. Mm. So great people are going to come. I think Shmuel maybe. Maybe it comes from, comes from, comes from Korach. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. I'll have to check it up again. Then so great people, but then I've got to make it through. That's the proof that I'm going to make it through. And Rashi said what Korach didn't know was that his children were going to do tshuva. And his children were going to survive. There's a whole conversation if they were kept underground in the place in Gehenna. I don't know exactly, but his, at the end of the day, his children do come back, and they do. They that the expression Moshe emes v'toraso emes that Moshe is true and his Torah is true. That we have credited to the children of Korach. That that was their that was their real truva when they're like, we messed up over here. We did the wrong thing. Moshe emes v'toraso emes. Um, so that's where Korach's over. Anyway, in the meantime, what happens? 
Okay, we're gonna, we're gonna, Hashem says, go away from all these people, right? And they all move away. And the people are standing there. And Rashi points out in chapter, in verse 27, who's standing there? Their wives, their children are with them. It's like, 27, uh, chapter 16. 27, it's just like, and Rashi says, what is the power of Machoikis? Like children who do not get the death penalty were sort of swept up in this. And Moshe Davins and he says, if they die a natural, a natural death, then I'm not true. Wow. That whatever I said is all made up. But, Lamed, in Bria Yivar Hashem, if Hashem is going to create a new, a new creation and the earth will open up its, uh, its mouth and swallow them, then, uh, then you know that these people were going up against God. 30. Okay? And he just finishes, he finishes the Davin, and what happens? The cynics would say, earthquake. Conveniently done earthquake. But what do the believers say? Hashem, Hashem listened to his prayers, and, he, and the earth opens up in verse 31, 32. The earth opens up its mouth, swallows them and their houses and the people and everything. And the Medrash describes how if any single person had ever borrowed anything from these people, from Korach, Dasan, Avirim, it went rolling out of the tents and into this hole. It's, uh, it's got to be like a massive thing going on over here, right? Um, and, and then after that, what's going to happen? Then, um, then we have a fire that comes out that burns up the 250 people who were bringing the Ketores. So like there's all this stuff going on at the same time. Okay, and then, and then what's very interesting is that Hashem tells Moshe to tell Elazar, the son, Elazar ben Aaron Cohen, to take, pick up all the fire pans that they had used because they were holy. The people did a, they were, they were, they died as a result of this, but it was, a, they were holy things. They'd been used to bring the Ketores and they made a fine plate, a cover of the altar as a memory of what had happened. The people had gone up against Hashem. And so they take that and that's a memory. And then what happens You'd think that they would stop complaining. But yeah. they don't. In chapter 17, verse 6, so the people say, you're killing all the people. Why are you just knocking everybody off? You did this to them. You did this to them, right? Um, and when they start doing this, um, and they start complaining, um, they, they, uh, Hashem again is going to send a plague amongst the people. Um, and something that they're going to start dying. They're going to start dying. And Moshe tells Aaron, what does he tell him to do? Uh, uh, no, uh, Shula, Yud Aleph, in 11. Yud Aleph, Moshe said to Aaron? Yeah. Moshe said to Aaron, take the fire pan and put on a fire from upon the altar and place incense and go quickly to the assembly and provide atonement for them for the fury has gone out from the presence of Hashem. The plague has begun. The plague has begun. So one of the things that the people are saying is that the Ketores kills. It killed, it killed Nadav and Aviu. It killed all these people. And one of the things, one of the gifts that, the, that it talks about in Tehillim and it talks about in Gemara, that one of the gifts that Moshe got when he went up to heaven to get the Torah was that the Malach Hamavis, the angel of death, told him that the Ketores is both, I don't know if you use the elixir of life and the elixir of death, but, um, but it, will, it, will, it can kill and it will stop death in its tracks. And, and the Gemara talks about how Aaron takes, takes Moshe tells Aaron, because he has this from the angel of death, 
take the katoras, run to amongst the people where this plague is happening, and you will stop the angel of death. And the, and the Gemara talks about the idea that the angel of death tells Aaron, get out of my way, because Hashem sent me to kill these people. And Aaron's like, I'm not moving because Moshe sent me. And he's like, my boss is bigger than your boss. <laughs> and, and Aaron says, Moshe doesn't do anything without asking Hashem. And they go back, and Hashem's back, like, tells the, the angel of death, Aaron's, Aaron is correct, and the, and the plague stops. How many people fall in this plague? 14,000 people die as a result. This is, this is massive. This is not a little, this is not a little thing. 14,000 and change. I don't remember, 14,700 maybe? Yeah. 14,700, besides the people, the 250 people, and Korach and Dustin and Avirim and their families, besides them. It's a big, big, big to the people. It's really, it's a big thing. And then, and then Hashem says, we're going to have one more trial over here. This is going to be not a trial by fire. This is going to be a trial by stick. And every single head of tribe has to bring one stick, like they walking sticks, write your name on it, and we're going to take all of those sticks, and we're going to put them into, we're going to put them next to the, the Holy of Holies. We're going to put iron stick in the middle so nobody says it was closer, so therefore anything happened. And let's see, let's see in the morning what happens to the sticks. And they take out the sticks in the morning, and lo and behold, iron stick had blossomed and fruited, fruited? Yeah. Um, almonds. So it had the, it, overnight it had almond flower, blossoms, flowers, and fruit, so that by the time they come out, there are fruit. And, and, and Medrash says that Moshe actually brought the flowers that had fallen off the stick to show them the whole progress of the miracle. Then Rashi says, why, why almonds? Because, they, because they, um, they ripen very quickly. I'm like, right, because overnight is like that. Enough time to, <laughs> to have the flowers, have, have the buds, have the flowers, have the almonds. Let's take the one that, you know, let's take the, uh, let's take the fruit that, huh? Later, 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 later. Oh, not yet. All right, almonds in our part of seven species. How did you get that? I totally did not wish to go with that. I was like, okay. Um, and then what happens is we take Aaron stick, we put and and they all everybody can see it. The Hashem chose Aaron to be the Kohen Gadol, and that is basically where the rebellion finally calms down and finally stops. Um, okay, and then they uh, check in. Um, okay. No, 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 no. And then, and, and, send, and then the people say, and then the people are like, okay, so the whole Mishkan is like this, this death trap for us. And <laughs> no, meaning like, like, how do you help us? So then Moshe speaks to the Levites and gives them the job, that part of their job is to, is to protect that people don't come closer to the Mishkan because they're right. You can't just go wherever you want to. It's, it's a danger. It, it is a dangerous situation, you know? Um, so the, the Levites are going to be able to, are going to be the ones who are going to be in charge of guarding the Mishkan so people don't come there. They're in charge of uh, doing a lot of the service and traveling and all this kind of stuff that's going on over here. Um, and then we have, again, that the Levites are now going to, again, be told that they're going to work for Hashem on behalf of the Jewish people, which we've already had a few times already, but okay. And then, um, and then we have... Um, from here till the end, we're about 18, um, till the end, we have the conversation of, um, almost to the end, one second. Oh, wait, that's Hukas. Kairach? Yeah, Kairach goes. So the end of a year, 
that um, we have the gifts that the Jewish people, there's called the Choftal Matnas Kahuna, the 24 gifts of Kahuna. The, the, we know that the Kohanim and the, Le- and the Levim do not have a portion in Eretz Yisrael. So where do they get their stuff from? Where do they get their produce from? Where do they get their grain from? It's going to be gifts that the Jewish people give. Last week we spoke about the gift of challah. And this week we have all different things from their grains, from their animals, all different things that the Jews give to the Kohanim and to the Levium. And we also have what the Levium have to give to the Kohanim. And there's a whole complicated charts of what we have, um, of how they give and what they give. And please, God, we should all be tested very soon to have to figure out who do I give this to? Who do I, I think I, we all need to start planting a little patch of something so we have to like be able to figure out how to do our trumas and mitzvahs from that. Um, and do the Levium have to give trumas? They give, they give to the Kohanim. They, there's something that they have to give. Of what they're given, they have to give to the Kohanim. Um, there, we finished our whole parsha. Woo! <sighs> huh? That was nice. So I want to I say, uh, yeah, it was, it, it's intense. It's intense. I want to I wanna say a couple of things. Um, you know, in the balance of, like, if Shlach was like, okay, you can't just live a spiritual life. And Korach said, okay, so it's just physical Really, the answer is yes, right? At the end of the day, we do have to do mitzvahs, but yes, intention counts. You know, like, it's not just one or the other. It's not just just be spiritual, fluffy aura people, and it doesn't matter what you actually do, which is what the Moravim were saying, but it's also not what Korach was saying of, like, it doesn't matter who's doing what and what intention they have, it's, we're all the same. That might be... That might be true, you know, when Mashiach comes, but, and, and, and however that's going to work, I don't know exactly. We'll wait and see, and, I, you know, please God, that'll happen quickly. But, but I think, like, the place of, like, so what do we walk away with? Okay, here's Parsha's Korach. It's an intense Parsha. The, the you know, I, for myself, I don't know if anybody else, you know, you hear, like, Dustin and Avirim saying, we're not going to go to Maisha, and part of me is like, <gasps> you know, I can't believe, like, you know, like, the, who said the chutzpah, like, Right? But is that really what we sometimes do? Like sometimes we, we, and, and this is part of our humanness of where do we say, but no, Adkan, I, I can give this much, but not that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if we're going to talk, if we say, what do we walk away with? What can we, what can we walk away with? First of all, I think the idea of mitzvahs and kavana sort of should work together. And yes, sort of like Korach is being shown that, and if you can't have the kavanah, at least have the mitzvah, right? We talked about that in many different places about it. at least have the vessels, have the mitzvahs, have something that you can put, you can add kavanah to afterwards. But I think like it's so easy to look back and say, I can't believe they, you know, Moshe called them and they didn't come. And I say this to myself more than to anybody else. Like how many times do we hear you know, the voice of Moshe, we hear the voice of Hashem saying, you should step up and do this. And we're like, no, or maybe later, right? Um, So I want to give us a bracha, first of all, that we should be open to hearing the voice of Hashem telling us where we should be and what we should do. You know, we always say, what does Hashem want for me now? Sometimes it's very, very clear, and, it, and, sti- and it's still scary to follow, and sometimes it's not so clear. And so I want to give us a bracha that we stay clear vessels, that we are able to hear what Hashem wants of us to be doing now, whatever, at any given moment, what does Hashem want? 
without putting our little bits of ego and agenda into the mix. Because, and it's very hard. It's very hard to sort of get to that pristine place where we're able to open up to hear what Hashem wants. And when we are, please God, able to do that, we should be courageous enough to step into that space. Um, because, because at the end of the day, this is really the last step that the Jewish people are going to need before they're settled into like a life with Hashem. To, because we see after Korach, that's where it's going to end. It's going to, they're going to, we're not going to hear about it until they start transitioning again. And, and really, I mean, that, that that should be where we are, that we're in that space, that we're able to say, we're ready, we can do this, we, we're able to clear our agenda and our personal interests and say, what does Hashem want for us? Because that's the last step that we need before we can step into Gula. So, I mean, we should be blessed to see it all together with each other. Parenthetically, one last thing, just which I didn't share with you last week, and I was so sorry I didn't because I always share it, but... You know, and, and when it talks, the Kliyakar says that Moshe's mistake with the spies was that he sent men. <laughs> if you would have said women, none of this would have happened. So I want to give us a bracha that we, we own our, our Jewish womanhood in the beautiful, bright way that it is. And the, the incredible, incredible abilities that we have and not to be afraid to shine. L'chaim.